Hello, you're listening to the Hammersley Brothers e-commerce podcast. If some of our discussions and tips are working for you, why don't you grab a 15-minute call with us at ecommercecall.com. We'll see whether we can help scale your e-commerce business. We will quickly see if we're a fit or whether we can recommend someone else to get you where you need to go. The worst case is you'll have a fun 15-minute chat and regardless, you'll come away understanding a lot more about your business. Book a call at ecommercecall.com. Hello and welcome to the Hammersley Brothers e-commerce podcast. This week, Ian and I are talking about margin and costs, looking at what's typical across different industries, the kind of game you're playing, the market you're playing in, and what's working right now. So let's get started. Hello, Ian. How are you? I'm good. I'm cold. Are you? It's yeah. I'm sat here with my my, my big ski puffer jacket on. Gosh, freezing. So different because I'm sitting here with the door open, um, and it's hot. It's starting to get hot. I went to watch uh, Ben play football yesterday. I was sitting in the van. I was like, oh god, how? And he got back in the van. And honestly, he was drenched. <laughs> it was just because <laughs> it's so. It doesn't. It's not that hot, but it's so humid. It gets so humid that as soon as you just move. It gets uh, you get really sweaty. Um, no, it's 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 really cold here, and it's so cold. Obviously, with the heating crisis, you know, with the cost of living crisis, we can't turn the heating on. No, everybody's just wearing coats. I, I yeah, imagine that in, so, in e-commerce, like heated clothes, must be going through the roof because it must be much cheaper to kind of like keep something warm on your person than heat the whole house. Um, from an efficiency point of view, well, yeah, you can always just put yourself, you know, an old an old rag. You know, also oh. does the trick. I was look, thinking, looking at heated slippers the other day. I was thinking, well, someone must have invented heated slippers. And lo and behold, someone has invented heating slippers. Listen, as like shut most... The, shut the as door like, plain. What? I'm shut uh, the door because it's plain. Okay. Yeah. Like most things in, in life, and certainly like most things people buy online, people emotionally want them, and they look for a rational reason to justify that need. Yeah. You don't what I'm saying is the people don't actually need stuff. They want them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why if you don't have an offer. Well that's actually you don't yeah, get a that's sale. really true. Yeah, that's really true at the moment. It's like change from being, you know, in COVID and the lockdown being able to sell anything you wanted online just because people couldn't get it in the shops to being cost of living crisis, people going, I'll buy it, but I need you need to give me a way to rationalize it to myself. Yes. You know? And so we're seeing that like almost light and day across everybody. A lot of people are doing, I mean, cause our, our stuff very much ties into it. I guess it's because, you know, we grew up the first time we got into e-commerce, there was a recession on it was post 2001. Yeah. So a lot of the stuff we learned yeah. then is, is quite relevant and, you know, very, we're kind of scrappy marketers, I guess. And that's kind of how we, we yeah. grew up. So it's, it, it's working. Well, really I remember well. the financial crisis in 2008 you yeah. know when oh no that's what, that's what I, I meant I, not 2001 sorry yeah. 2008 well yeah. and we and we grew we grew quite a lot of econ brands during that period to, to like you know that are now quite big you know 30 million mm. and I think at the time there was a lot of people that pulled out of uh, advertising in 2008 yeah. and it, it paved the way for the for the disruptors to come in and have a bigger bigger share of voice for a smaller budget, you know, because all mm. of a sudden their small budget 
was you know went a bit further because people would pull back. Well, it's um, interesting. It's anyway. interesting. Yeah, any market, right? Usually, like the recession or whatever, so when people are starting to pull back on something. Um, it usually goes down by like two percent or one percent or something like really really small. So most of most markets are, are contracting by, you know, not that much. And yet, what happens is, you know, you've seen like this this week. There's I think it's Jules and Made.com and yeah. um, people have gone into receivership. There are big whales in those industries that are coming out of the market, and their market share might be I don't know what does Made got of the sofa market like twenty percent something like that. You know, the, the sofa market is not going to reduce by 20%. It's just not going to reduce by, by, by yeah, that much. It, it, so it opens effectively, the door, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. In, in, in the terms of the competitors that are left, their uh, addressable market actually got bigger. So it's really how you think about it. Yeah. And like we've always seen these is, times as a I big think, opportunity. Well, we, yeah, we have because – um, because often we're dealing with e-com brands that are doing between you know two and twenty million, and and so they are the, they are the kind of disruptors. They are the smaller fish mm. who are who are trying to grow. And the truth of it is, you're going to grow by stealing. In most e-com industries, you're you're going to grow by stealing market share of someone else, mm. and you know you're going to stop. You've got to stop the customer buying from somewhere else. And so, but I think what happens with people like when people hear about Made.com and Jules is it sends a bit of shiver. It sends some shivers down the down the wire, doesn't it, to to other businesses in that space? And they go, "Ooh, if Made.com yeah. have, have gone, then should I should I pull back? Should I stop investing? Should I not make decisions? We won't do that new big, you know, mm. relaunch, or we won't go and push our." You know, um, you know, push the button on that massive email project, and they st- and they and they and they stop, and because they get cold feet, um, and that's not you know, and obviously, well, that comes neatly on to you know how you get an understanding of how hard you should push, yeah, the margin and how, costs, uh, and yeah, yeah, and when you should when you should when you, when you should pull that traffic lever harder, and when you should push it back and coast a little bit. Mm. Um, and it all comes down to having a very firm understanding of what your of your your mar- your true cost or your margin, which which allows you to to understand your ROAS. Yeah. And and having that firm grip on the business, it's vital, isn't it? It's it's so across across all your channels as that overall metric because the I think the I would say. Not that this, this. I was about to say this is a mistake, but it isn't because it's not a mistake at all. It's really important. But people get lost in the mess of attribution modeling, and they become mm. obsessed with trying to say that. Well, fa- I spent, you know, I spent three thousand pounds today on Facebook, and I got exactly this amount of revenue back. And I spent four thousand pounds on Google, and I got exactly this amount of revenue back. And they do the same thing for Pinterest, and they become obsessed with this accurate attribution modeling. And yeah. it's so tricky to navigate. A, the, one of the tricky parts is it's probably one customer who's touched multiple channels. So that's that's inherently really difficult. But B, it, it, do you know what it, do you know what the biggest danger of focusing on really complicated attribution modeling 
it takes your eye off the ball because mm. you end it's so so complicated you end up looking back retrospectively at the end of the month going ooh that was interesting well it doesn't matter it's too late the horse yeah. has bolted and you have to look at it every day which is why we came up with the drop by drop report which is the, the probably the lifeblood and it's the thing that that when we're managing our own e-com businesses and the first thing that we say to an e-com brand who wants to grow with us and uh, and the thing that we look at and refer to all the time is what is a drop by drop report saying we keep coming back to that mm. well it's like the know, like the, the chap we were speaking to today and he said you know i've got a traffic problem i need more traffic i need more traffic mm. and really yeah you, you, nobody's got a traffic problem because i could go and you know on the demo store i could go and buy i could go and spend two million pounds in a day and go and get traffic so that's not the problem yeah. it's the problem is i i don't want to buy that traffic for that amount of money because i'm not getting yeah. the amount of money back uh, enough to justify the cost so it's not a traffic problem because you know anybody yeah. could go and put a, a, a foot double spray ad ad in the in the in the new york times and kind of get loads of traffic or do a super bowl ad but there's reasons why people don't do them is because they can't afford to do them because they're not going to get the business from it so therefore, what your problem is, is you've actually got an average order value. Well, it's actually, it's a revenue per visitor problem. You haven't got enough revenue per yeah. visitor to justify to the cost justify per the visitor. you need. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's simply, you know, in that particular case, the, the, this, you know, the, the client said, I've got a traffic problem. And, you know, the, the, that, his business needs, they need a 2.5 minimum mm. ROAS. So they spend, a, you know, a dollar for the recruitment, two, for the recruitment, for their recruitment. Yeah. The minimum they need is $2.50 back. Yeah. You know, and it's a UK business in this one, you know, it's a pound, it's, but it's two pounds 50, but there's the same conversation with an American business tomorrow. It's very similar. And, you know, if they can hit that, 2.5 times you know they're, they're fine they've got no problem so but the mm. reason they can't is because based on the margin that the business has and the average order value that that business is kind of limited to the reason that is their conversion rate's too low yeah so they need to resolve the conversion rate which will allow them to get their ROAS up and the reason why the conversion rate is too low is because they haven't got a reason to buy now yeah and um, and they haven't quite got the desirability and convincibility right. But but in, in a nutshell, you know, it, understanding exactly what the ROAS is right now is, is key. And obviously, one of the biggest determining factors of, of understanding what your ROAS is, is your margin. Yeah. And it's always really interesting for us to look at what different businesses have and what margin. It's a really fascinating question. What's your margin? You know, when mm. you, someone's selling sofas, like, what's your margin? Someone's selling clothes, what's your margin? And and you start to get an idea of, ooh, they're going to struggle with that. That's low. Mm. Or, wow, that's brilliant. Obviously, the higher the margin, you know, the it's easier it is. It's interesting because we didn't, used to, we didn't used to look at this, you know, when we used to, you mm. know, maybe like six years ago, you talked about margin. We wouldn't have had the, been able to have that conversation. No. Since we've been really focusing on it, we know the margins across lots of different industries. And that's been quite an eye-opener because you, it's that kind of conversation. Someone comes to you and they go, what's your margin? You go, oh, 10%. You're like, you're like, you know, what are you going to do? Um, yeah. It becomes, it becomes very difficult. It. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I, I, mean, I remember working, we worked with a, somebody selling car tyres online. And, mm. and yeah, we were quite deep in the conversation. And then we said, oh, what's your margin? <laughs> he said 5%. And I was like, can you just, can you just repeat that? He said 5%. Yeah. I was like, oh. And what's the lifetime customer value? Oh, they only ever buy once. They never come back. And I'm like, yeah. oh, right. This business really isn't going to scale, is it? Um, no. It's no. an affiliate business. Is it it's be- an affiliate business. That's yeah. it. You know, it's, but, you, you don't own anything so, then, really. That's difficult. No, and, so the, and the consequence, the consequence of the margin being so low of 5% was the ROAS had to be astronomically high. It was like, it had to be like mm. 28, 28 yeah. times. So yeah. that massively restricts the amount of traffic you can grow, uh, you can go and buy. But the only so time, a typical margin. The, well, let me go just on. say the only time that it's okay if 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 you've got a really tight margin of like twenty percent, ten percent, is if everybody else in that industry is in exactly the same boat. So, for example, an example of that is people selling tools, power tools online. Now they all get between ten and twenty percent margin. So that's what they get across the board. But because they're all in the same boat on Google Ads, the ROAS people tend to receive is about 20. So it's dictated by the industry. The difficulty is, is if you are in an industry where you're a reseller and you're competing against somebody who's got 30% margin or even, you know, like you've got 20 and they, you, someone else has got 25, they're just going to wipe the floor with you. And there's not much you yeah. can do about that. So you've got to be very careful. And I talked this about this. It's like the game you, well, you choose to play is 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 very important. Yeah. Well, you but you you know it, I think I think in a way you know if if we're trying to go and design a business we want we want we want the ROAS to be as low as we can be because it's easier. So mm. but if if we can't get anything out of margin, you know if we margin is the best it can be. We've then got to look at the other metrics we've got. We've got average order value to play with. We've got conversion rate to play with. And we've got a lifetime customer value. That's it. Mm. So, you know, there are certain scenarios where the margin is low, but the lifetime customer value is amazing. Yeah. You know, like contact lenses. You know, selling contact lenses, the margin is low. The lifetime customer value is, the lifetime customer value is really good. Um, yeah. You know, but it's very simple. It's, it, it, is a re- it is a really simple you know, e-commerce is really simple, isn't it? It's how much it costs to recruit a customer and how much that customer's worth to us over a lifetime. And that bit in the middle is the business. Yeah. And the, the, the I mean, the average, reeling off some average margins, fashion average margin tends to be about 70%. That's what we right. seem to see. Yeah. Um, like homewares and home soft furnishes and things like that are normally about 50%. Hang on, let's just define that because 70% is when it's own brand. They've made their own clothing, isn't it? It's not when they're selling other people's brands. Yes, that's, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, yeah, exactly. The problem is if you are a reseller of other people's products, it pretty much across the board, it seems to be that the margin is about 30%. Mm. So if you're selling other people's stuff, you know, you're ranging between, I don't know, 27 and 35 on yeah. average. Yeah. And it seems to float around that point. And that's, and that's pretty low. And, you know. Well, that's what happens, isn't it? What happens is they might start with a bigger margin in the wholesale channel. 
picking 50%. And then people start going, well, I'm quite happy to take yeah. 30%, still make it. But then you get to a point where people go, I'm not this, I'm not going to bother with this. You know, it's like, it, it, what's the, you know, there's there's a lot of work to kind of carrying the stock and doing all that stuff. So you get down to kind of the person who's willing to deal with the customer for the least amount of benefit. And that kind of sits around 30% usually. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I know. And, and obviously, you know, that's if you're selling other people's products. And then within that, you have the whole Amazon and eBay yeah. nightmare. And, you know, and they just drag the product. We've got a customer that we're working with at the moment. And their whole market, they're actually a, a, a pretty big manufacturer. And they sell through, you know, lots of big high street brands. And they've got their market is in such a mess online because they've allowed people to buy a, a trade group to buy their products. Um, and this trade group allows their, their sellers to put it on eBay mm. as a new product. Amazon then matches eBay. And mm. as a result, the whole market of Google shopping just gets sucked down yeah. because of the, of the, the, you know, the real, the real dregs have pulled the market down on, on eBay. And it's like, unless you can control that, you know, it has a ripple effect on everything. And it's, and it's, it's very, very of, difficult. It's because of the buying groups, aren't they? So the buying groups come and buy in bulk, but they're selling to individual sellers. And the individual yeah. sellers are just kind of like just selling it for dirt cheap on, on things. There was someone else all today on the implementation level too, call. You were on the other call. And he said, and he's got, they, he's got a global company that sells all around the world. Um, it's Edward. You know what Edward sells. Yeah. Um, and he said that one of his persons rang him up and said, I can buy on Amazon that product cheaper than you can, you're selling it to me wholesale. Because Amazon are retailing the product that he's giving them, and they're controlling the price. And it's, he says, I've yeah. got no control over the, the market. And so he's, he's obviously going to try and fix it, see what happens. But you get these yeah. things all the time, and you end up with these situations where – it's very difficult to change because specifically the one you were talking about before, there's so much political, um, there's yeah, so much it political takes, force it, behind those people who get the yeah. bonuses based on the trade channel that it's, it becomes yeah. very well, difficult. Trade channel, yeah. This trade channel is, is doing, you know, 40%, like 20 million. Yeah. A year. So it ta- it's going to take years to unravel this. Mm. Um, and, it's going to take, obviously- take a leader. It's going to take someone high up, yeah, got to make a decision. Says, this is where we're going to go. This is what we're going to do. But the problem, it's difficult. yeah, it is difficult. And obviously, this is quite alien to probably most people who listen to this. But but the, you know, this, this is um this is a Mark and I occasionally get brought into uh, manufacturers who want to start start selling direct. Yeah, and and they're navigating this complicated you know, mess because yeah. all of a sudden they're trying to go direct and they've got all the different wholesales and channels. And the problem and the reason why lots of manufacturers want to start selling direct is because it's the first time they've got access to the actual end customer, mm. you know, and this particular company probably has only got maybe four or five big accounts, you know, and I was chatting to a client the other day and they were selling photo frames and they said that, you know, one minute they, d- they had a business that was doing 30 million turnover and then within, you know, for 10 years, maybe longer, I think it was 20 years, the next minute, they lost they lost Next, they lost Matalan, they lost mm. John Lewis, and they lost another one. And within two months, the business was over. Yeah. So then, like, what the hell? So, 
this can happen anyway. That's an interesting story. That's nothing about margin and ROAS. Yeah, but it's building your own channel, isn't it? It's building your own channel, building yeah. your own future. Same with it. Like I actually be uh, talking to a lot of um, Chinese factory owners. They're doing the same thing. They're actually wanting to yeah. build their own channels overseas to control it because they'll have these orders. They'll get like $20 million worth of orders coming in every month. Then suddenly it'll just drop. And they'll be like, yeah. well, I've still got the staff. I've still got the tools. I've still got everything that I want to, you know, what I'm going to do. So, you know, they're, they're increasingly they are building their own channels abroad so they can kind of like protect themselves. It's happening everywhere. Um, yeah. And, you know, if you're not having that conversation, and the, the, trouble is, the trouble is what people tend to do, like the one you were talking about, they're trying to like fit the market fit to give a crap about the political situation within the company. The market doesn't go, no, thank you very much. I'm just going to buy the cheapest one. Thank you. It's like, it's just reality. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah. costs and margins. Costs and yes. margins. So you've, you've done fashion. You've done, so typically, you know, like we, we will see margins between 40%, 60, 60%, 70%, kind of like where we would see the range. And yeah. As long as everybody else is in the same boat as you, you're okay. Yeah, you just want to be. You just don't want to be the person who's got a forty percent margin in an industry where everybody's got seventy percent margin because you're going to struggle because they can effectively recruit a customer at twice the cost you can and still do do very yeah. very well. And you know what? Here's I just say something else on that because the two biggest strategies that differentiate e-commerce is if you're selling other people's products that they can buy anywhere. Um, and they're not exclusive to you versus your own brand. Yeah. And if it's your own brand and it's different, you're in a, you're in a space where it's quite difficult for people to know exactly how much that pair of glasses costs or mm. that sofa costs or, you know, whatever that thing is you're selling. Sometimes it's really difficult. I have no idea how much that costs. You go off the perception of what you think sometimes you may well be able to put the price up you know where has your margin come from you know how have you set that why have you set it to be that in an industry where people are using the price to dictate value they go oh it's a high yeah. price suit i'm gonna that must be a good suit because people haven't got a clue about no. necessarily there's the odd person well, and, that goes and, oh well, well, and you know, what it's made from we were working with a jewelry business you know six months ago and they said um, you know, one of the things that people really value about when they're buying jewelry, because they're often buying it as a gift, um, they value, they really want value for money. Mm. So where the hell does the value for money come from? But what happened, this story, this jewelry company, they said, well, we took this product and we priced it at 50 pounds and it just didn't sell for age, mm. for, you know, for two years, just really you know, tiny volumes. And then we put it, we doubled it to 100 and it started selling a bit more. We're like, oh, that's interesting. So they doubled it again. And it started selling a lot more, and it then became the bestseller. Mm. And all they did was up the price. That's weird, isn't it? That's such mm. an interesting story about how there's, there's the been price lots of stories like the, that where people have got like yeah. things in an art gallery and they put an extra zero on the end and it's sold. And it's like, you know, it's perception of price. And it's like, you know, God, this was actually supposed to be 500 quid and it's, it's $5,000 now. And it's like someone bought it and you go, what happened? Mm. What just happened? But yeah. you know, it, it it's not all it's not all like that. And and people are people people tend to come to a purchase with a frame of reference that they think that would be a sensible 
cost for that. So like when people are buying gifts, they tend to like say, oh, I need to buy something for 30, 30 bucks to 50, 50. Always 30. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like always, it's always yeah. about 40, 50 dollars, isn't it? About 30 pounds. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, coming back, I mean, like I think most most people in 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 e-commerce industry, you've got your margin there and thereabouts what it should be. Mm. Um, you know, and like we see forty to seventy. If we see anything less than forty, we often, you know, question marks are raising. Um, yeah. And you know, and and in some obviously some businesses you get much higher ones, but generally it's around that figure, isn't it? But here's mm. the interesting thing: you would you you were just telling me a story. In fact, it's a, it's a joint. We're both looking at it, and it's their their um their homeware business, aren't they? And they and they they've got to a point where they're doing, you know, about five million, and they're kind of getting a bit bigger, and they're like, right, now we need to go and get loads of expensive agencies in. Well, yeah, we need yeah. to be at this stage now. We should be doing this, and so mm. we ran through the costs, and they said that their marketing agency was charging them over £10,000 a month, which is what, I don't know, $40,000 yeah. a month. And this is a business that's turning. And that that's just management fee. That's not advertising yeah. budget. So that's, that's, that's just management. AdWords, Google AdWords, Facebook, Facebook ads, and SEO in those things. And they're spending roughly on Google ads around about £12,000, about 16000 So it's not a big spender. It's not a big spender. Mm. And so shall I, can I, I'll, shall I talk about it? Yeah. Is that all right? Yeah. So go, yes. what I did, what I did is I went, well, if you think about it, all of that cost is about recruiting new customers because SEO, they're doing it to recruit new customers. They Google ads, they're doing it to recruit new customers and Facebook ads, they're doing it to recruit new customers. Now, all of that activity is new customer. It's recruitment really. You know, the the retention and the repeat buying is going to be done by remarketing and a bit of uh, emails and things like that. But that tends to happen on its own. It doesn't really need much management to, to go and repeat, you know, a lot of the time with email. So that's probably tend to be done in-house. So if you put that £10,000 and you say, well, that is a recruitment cost, and then we put it into the margin calculator sheet, and basically – it was like, well, you know, the margin calculator sheet is saying, well, what ROAS, what return on ad spend do I need to, to recruit a customer in order to start making money in this business? And so um, the difference when you added that £10,000 and took the £10,000 off was absolutely startling. It went from a recruitment ROAS that they needed to hit about 300, 350, uh, 350%, 3.5%. Um, ROAS to about eight. So wow, that is massive because yeah. you think you can afford. You go, oh, we're doing around this turnover and we do that and we get this and stuff. But that cost there is basically like trying to run that business with a ball and chain behind you, where everybody else has, has got the wind behind them. So you've got to be very careful with the costs you put onto your recruitment to make sure they're kind of lean and they mean, and to be honest, those fees seem, seem extreme. You know, they, you, you, they, yeah, I nearly fell off my chair. Yeah. I mean, the other one you spoke to the week before, theirs was 5,000. And I was like, yeah, that seems, you know, that was, that was crazy. Just, just to give people an idea of what common fees are on Google AdWords, a Google, a good AdWords team would probably charge 
between 10% and 15% of spend, um, probably with a minimum fee of around um, £1,000, US dollars, something like that. That's where it would start. Then what would happen is after you hit a spend of around maybe 20,000, 30,000 a month, it would no longer be a, a 15% on thing. It would be a flat fee plus maybe a, a um, maybe a percentage over that. And the reason for that is because when you scale an account from, you know, spending five grand a month to 20 grand a month, there's more work there than taking an account from 20 grand a month to 30 to 40 grand. So, it, it, that's kind of how it works. Um, so, you know, to give you, give you an example, like I manage, I manage someone who spends about 300,000 US dollars a month and I charge them roughly about $10,000 a month to manage that. And that's a serious, so that's, that's kind of less than that agency is charging for, for, for 14,000. And if you think about the responsibility I have to spend 300,000 you know, a month, three hundred thousand pounds or dollars a month. That dollars a month, I have a lot of responsibility to pretty much for their entire recruitment for that company that's doing you know twenty million, thirty million a year. So it's a lot of responsibility, but you've got to be very careful not to kind of pay that kind of money when you've not got that, not giving someone that responsibility. Well, what, do you know what what happens? I think is you know these the businesses think. They all oh, right. In order for us to really scale and really grow, we need a massive agency that's going to charge ten thousand mm. pounds, because the perception is that they're going to, they, you know, this is what they should be doing at the retail level. Well, but, actually, you know, Ian, that's exactly the same thing we were talking about with like high cost equals good, isn't it? Like with the jewelry yeah, stuff. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you know, you know. I, well, what we're saying is, we're saying <laughs> is, you you've got you've got to include your your marketing fee, your management fee into all of your calculations it's the same with apps as well i mean we, we did it with another business they had affiliate they were paying two thousand pounds for someone to manage affiliate which was driving no incremental revenue at all which mm. literally just costing the commission because it was just voucher sites they had God. like um, um no agency yeah, no agency gonna refer us like oh you should speak to the hamsey brothers we're like hmm probably won't now because well <laughs> Going to tell we're them just going to pay too much fees. Yeah, we're just oh, looking well. at just this, it's just a silly, just looking at the you know, a lot of it's bullshit, isn't it? A lot of the a lot of the stuff that people are peddling, it's very difficult to navigate your way through good e-commerce advice. Yeah, because uh, there's yeah. so much dross out there, you know. But we're, but we're fans of keeping things lean. You know, you keep well, business as lean as you can. It, it it's you like know? it's. I think there's that. You know, there's that. There's that pit hole, pot hole, pot hole that people fall into where they think my business is not doing well because the agency, the person running ads isn't good enough. And yeah. I think that there's like a, the difference between a crap Google AdWords person and a good Google AdWords person, you know, there is a difference. You no, know, there is a difference. And, but what a good AdWords person is able to do, they're able to scale the account profitably once they have something to scale, Right. But if you give a good AdWords person nothing to scale, nothing that works, they're going to be have the same result as a crap AdWords person. And if you've got nothing to scale and you haven't done the on-site optimizations and got something to scale, just changing the AdWords manager is a bit like changing the, t- 
the seats, uh, rearranging the seats on the Titanic. It doesn't make any difference. You, you, you know, you have to yeah. have something. And I've been buying, I've been, God, I've been doing Google ads for at least 15 years. And, you know, there's, there's just accounts that if you give me, I'll just be like, well, there's nothing here. We're going to go and have to look at the landing pages. We're going to have to go and look at your offer architecture. We're going to have to look at it because there's not much I can do with that. It's just not there. And the, be- I mean, and the, the best thing, yeah, the best thing that uh, that would happen is a good AdWords person would say, hang on a minute, there's a problem here. You've got to sort this out. Mm. Because they're not going to take you on unless you do, because you're not going to make any difference. And the, the thing you know, is, I, you know, I know a lot of people, a lot of really big Google AdWords people, and they look at these accounts, they don't take them on. They just yeah. don't, don't take you on. And like, in fact, you know, I've got a friend who spent, I think you've got to spend like 30, 30 grand a month before he'll even look at the account. You know, it's, 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 if you're, yeah, it's, there's a lot of agencies who prey on the people who, don't spend very much and they think there's this kind of like holy grail we'll get them on for three months and don't get me started on seo retainers but no you know well i think i think the agencies they take them on and they realize that it'll take you know it'll be excited the client will be excited for a little bit and then eventually they'll drop them but they might get six months out of them yeah. Until they realise that they can't do it, but you see this all the time. But you know what? You know, it's an e-commerce brand. You have to take responsibility. So many times, I see people taking a really naff Shopify theme, throwing products on it, and thinking it's going to be enough. Mm. Not understanding the job to be done. Not understanding trust and credibility. Not understanding the anxiety, the frictional points. Not understanding anything about navigational flow. Not giving any reason to buy now. Not answering the question of why buy from you. Mm-hmm. Not having any scarcity or urgency, not doing anything, and thinking that they're going to people are going to magically buy because they're going to switch AdWords agencies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not good enough. It's like throwing a catalogue at someone as they walk into a shop and saying, well, "There you are. Go and choose what you want." Yeah. And you, yeah. you know, I think that's probably a fairly unhelpful comment that I've just said because we're talking about margin and costs, but. Well, how would you the, sum this up? The, how would you sum this up? Sum what are we trying up? to say? The, the fundamental thing is you've got to know what's your lowest possible ROAS that you can operate. Mm. And you've got to know what, what your lifetime customer value is. So you know, so you've got that firm understanding of what your ROAS is. And then you do the drop by drop report and you obsess over yeah. that. And you've got to un- I think fundamentally you've got to understand that the decisions you make and the things you pay up front and how they affect things down the line, and also to understand the game that you are playing, what the competitors' game they're playing, and to understand, you know, what the reality of the of the of this business is, because it's very easy to go and think everything's rosy and everything's wonderful, and just go and say, well, let's just get some nice people on to come and help us. And it's like, well, that'd be lovely, but you can't do that until you get to this point because that doesn't make sense. And it's about having the right conversation with yourself to understand what you're doing and why. And um, I guess it's just experience of working with so many people and having these conversations with so many people, really. It is. Yeah, I think well, we, you wonder, yeah, well, you you know what is a waste of time and what's going to move the needle, and mm-hmm. and there's a lot of things that are a waste of time, and it's it, it. So many times, e-commerce brands have this scattergun approach. They're all over the place. You know, they're doing a bit of this, bit of that, bit of that. 
Mm. Uh, just hope and a prayer that something's going to stick. Uh, the problem is, the, you know, the market's moving so fast now, especially that if you get if you do the wrong thing for six months, you just wasted six months and the market's moved on. Yeah. So you've got to know what you do. You've got to have a firm plan, and it definitely it definitely starts by you know understanding what that what you what your cost to recruit a customer is and what they're worth over a lifetime and how you inf- how you influence it. You yeah. know, what? I'll finish one one thing. I'll, I'll often say, I often ask clients. I say, right, if you were in the market for that table lamp or whatever it was you're selling, would you buy from yourself? And they look at me, slightly bewildered, like what? And they kind of, you know, they assume, well, of course I would. You know, but actually, I said, well, would you? Because you're not talking about your returns policy. You haven't got any offer architecture. You've got no trust and credibility. I don't even know when it's going to arrive. You're not even telling me how much delivery is. The images are poor. Would you actually, you know, you're right. You're right, Ian. No, I wouldn't. Who would you buy from? Oh, I'd buy from these guys because the mail's better. <laughs> like, well, there's the answer. So uh, can you answer the question, would you buy from yourself? And, and I think if you can't, anything around that question, would I buy from myself, that's where you're going to get the gains. Mm. That's where you're going to get the growth from. And there's yeah. stuff like that that's often free. It costs you anything. Yeah, yeah. And it, I think I think the big thing about e-commerce is if, if if someone's sitting in front of you and you don't understand what they're saying, it probably doesn't make sense. Like I think that it just comes down to you know like two you know me and you grew up in a bakery selling cakes in a retail environment. Like everything made sense. It had a sale on. We didn't. We sold more cakes. We sold more donuts on Donut Week. You know, it was just all made sense. E-commerce is the same. If it doesn't yeah. make sense then someone probably doesn't understand retail. That's, that's what I'd leave that. you with. I actually had a call. I had a call this morning. Oh, you can't leave it there. Can't Are I? you going to carry on your vote? No, because you've just given oh. me another right. story. Well, I agree. I said I said I had a conversation this morning with, um, with an e-commerce brand, and I said, and people were saying, well, we listen to the podcast, and what we like about the podcast is you make it sound quite simple. And I said, I said, you know what? When when you listen to somebody explaining something, a complicated topic, and it sounds complicated, truth is I think they often don't understand it. Hmm. And they make it sound complicated to, because they don't really understand the essence, the core principles. And when you listen to somebody taking a very complicated subject and making it sound so simple – it shows that they really understand the, the 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 essence, you know, the fundamental rules. Because most things are really quite straightforward, and I think people really overcomplicate e-commerce. I think it's actually really really obvious, but it's only because we've done it and sat for so long. But it, it, there are some very simple frameworks, and you know what? I think the thing that's confused a lot of e-com brands is there was an explosion of like AI and personalization mm. and segmentation tools. You know, this this whole AI, you know, big data. You know what? And that that has been a massive hindrance for the majority of people in our space who are doing two to ten million. Hmm. Because this, what it means is, is there's this perception that there's this magic wand that all of a sudden is going to make people buy because because there's some AI that's presented the right product to them, and it's, well, the, the it's reason- such a load of bullshit. Well- <laughs> 
There are some good tools out. Don't get us wrong. <laughs> there and are, you know, there, there are, are some good tools out. But the, the reason there's been an explosion in that space is because there's been an explosion in e-commerce, and then there's an, always an explosion in things where it's a online software as a service uh, service. Because what's the margin in selling software? A hundred percent. There's a hundred percent margin in selling software, repeatable subscriptions, all those kind of stuff. So of course. They're going to be able to put a sales team behind it and talk about it and all that kind of stuff. They're not sitting there with 40% margin. They're sitting there with 100% margin. They can sell that thing over and over and over again. So you've just got to think about why something's been pushed so hard. And I I think I'll I'll leave you with one little thought, Um, and it's the following. It's that whenever you think e-commerce is getting confusing – and anything sounds, I don't really understand what this means. Just, just, just stop thinking about your e-commerce as a site. Think about your your e-commerce as if it was a physical retail store or a you know physical bricks and mortar store. If you have a shop with a door and people come in, and think about what the equivalent would be of your online and the decisions you're making on your roadmap, decisions you're making on your email and your, and your development and, and your offer architecture. Think about what the equivalent would be if this was a physical store and ask yourself, does it make sense? Mm. And what's obvious? What's the experience do I want if there's a physical shop? Then it all makes sense. Then it all is all obvious. The first everything step, should be obvious. First step is going to say to myself, no, I understand this. I understand retail, so therefore I understand e-commerce. And once you start realizing that, you go, well, I understand that. I understand I've got to sell things. I understand I've got to buy a customer for less than, less than the profit I receive from the customer. Everything else needs to fall in place. That, that's it, you know? Mm. Yeah. Cool. Thank you very much, Ian. You too, Mark. Go back to your sunbathing. Yeah. My hammock's broken though, so I can't climb my hammock. So massive problem. Yeah, I know. How are you gonna go? Well I've got another one on the way, obviously. In the in the post. E commerce. <laughs> yeah. Straight away. Uh Does it sell them in New Zealand. We sell some things, yeah. Yeah. You really? You've got one supplier of hammocks. Pretty much. That owns the market. Yeah. I like the C to like ten times the price. C to C to Summit hammock. That's what I've got. And it's really cool. It's a little one. Anyway, I'll speak to you all soon. Thank you very much. Bye. Cheerio.